Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. I had been saying for six years that it was abuse, but I didn't say it publicly. I've right. been saying for six years that Hepsom House should close down, but everyone, preachers kept, you can't tell the truth, Ben, is it'll hurt the name of Jesus. You can't right. tell the truth, Ben, because you're going to hurt churches. Now I'm realizing by not telling the truth, I hurt the name of Jesus. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Skorzynski. You're listening to another episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. Today's episode, I have Benjamin Williams on the show. Uh, Benjamin just recently appeared on Dr. Phil for the two-part special, Exposing the Horrors of Hepzibah House. Ben's dad, Ron Williams, is the founder and director of the Hepzibah House in Winona Lake, Indiana, which also has Believer's Baptist Church, an independent Baptist church that was started by his father. His father and mother have years of documented abuse that has occurred under them to students in the home, staff, children, and even church kids. Emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, mental abuse, and even physical abuse have all occurred. Ben's mother passed away, but her legacy of destruction and hurt lingers on in hundreds of lives that she has damaged. His father is still very proud and firm man that believes that he did it under the ordained rule of God. Benjamin and over 250 students have come out wanting justice and the truth to be told. He believes that the God that was taught at Hepzibah House is not the true God of the Bible. I hope you guys will listen to this interview. We talk about all kinds of interesting topics regarding Hepzibah House, the mentality that leads to abuse within IFB ministry, and talk pretty extensively about whether or not there is hope for reform of the IFB movement. I hope you guys will enjoy. Hey guys, as always, I want to give you guys a quick trigger warning on this episode. We're going to be talking about a lot of rough subjects involving physical, mental abuse. Uh, we even talk a little bit about suicide. And so uh, if this is not an episode you're ready to listen to, feel free to add it to later in your queue and come back at a time that would be healthy for you to do so. All right, guys, without further ado, let's get into the episode. What was your introduction to the, well, first introduce yourself and then what was your introduction to the IFB movement? Um, just initially? Yes, sir. My name is Ben Williams. I'm the son of Ron Williams. I was born and raised at Hepsba House in Winona Lake, Indiana. Uh, my father became an independent fundamental Baptist kind of on his own. It's, it's, uh, I don't want to screw up the history completely, but dad got saved in Chicago um, and he, he got saved and went uh, into the charismatic movement. And then he went from there. Uh, I don't remember the whole history of what brought him to Winona Lake, uh, but he went to Grace Seminary in Winona Lake. And then while he was there, uh, in that time period, he started a church called Believer's Chapel. And then while he was running the girls' home, he had his own church. 
he started the church on his own without any authority. He was never, it was never birthed from another church. It was just, he made his own church up. And then he became a Baptist on his own. Uh, he baptized uh, the deacon he had made and the deacon baptized him and they called themselves Baptists. Uh, so the foundation <laughs> um, isn't even right. Um, mm. Uh, churches birth churches. You don't just start your own church. Right. And, and uh, so the doctrine so was truly independent. Then. <laughs> exactly. He was truly independent. So dad was heavily influenced by men such as Bill Gothard, Lester Roloff, Jack Hiles, Roger Vogland, and men of that stripe. Mm. Now through time, Dad ended up getting into some, a pretty nasty fight with Roger Vogelin out of Fairhaven and separated from him. Okay. Then he saw all of the abuses going on in the Hiles group with the sexual abuses, and he kind of separated from him and tried to stay neutral on that because mm. he didn't want to lose too many supporting churches. So Dad really got caught up in more of the Gothard groups. Okay. Uh, Dad, Dad was a huge follower of Bill Gothard, spent thousands and thousands of dollars right. on Gothard's material. So, so was the separation from Hiles, so that was more of a political move than it was a concern of the direction he was going? You know, honestly, I look back, and I think it was both, in okay. all fairness to my dad. I think okay. it was both. Um, dad began to see the shallowness of the people coming out of there and realized right. they didn't even know doctrine. Uh, dad began to see the sexual abuses. Um, mm -hmm. And he was personal friends with a bodyguard of Jack Hiles that ended up quitting. And, really? Jack, and that bodyguard had told in our living room, I remember as a boy telling about the mistresses and telling about horror stories that he told about Jack Hiles. And he says, guys, this is all true. He says, Jack Hiles is not the man everyone thinks he is. He's a wicked right. man. So because of the firsthand experiences being told by a personal bodyguard, um, that also that bodyguard was also one of the reasons that one deacon got in prison because he witnessed that deaconess molest that girl. Hmm. Um, so dad greatly distanced himself, but he would never come out publicly because that was the political move. Okay. The political move, because he, if he would have come out publicly and taken a stand and said, Jack Hiles is wicked, he would have lost so much support. Right. He wouldn't have had churches he could have preached at. So dad was political and decisive okay. about it. Okay. So, so initially I'm assuming, and uh, I'm assuming initially and you mentioned this when you were when you were speaking on Dr. Phil, you mentioned that initially you it was just day to day normality the the situation you were growing up in. So when you were experiencing the peak of your involvement and it was a positive thing, how would you have described the IFB situation that you were in? If someone were to ask you? Never positive. Okay. Never. It was never positive. Oh, absolutely not. Okay. Um I don't want to take too much of the podcast time to try to explain my testimony and my story. Um, I grew up in a home that was filled with screaming, fighting, okay. physical fighting, beatings, anger, and pride. Hmm. My brothers and sisters, we fought literally. I do not know how we didn't kill each other. Hmm. It, it, that's how bad it got. So it wasn't just screaming matches. You're physically... Oh, of, yeah, yeah, physical altercations. Uh, in fact, as a, as a young boy, uh, I was a very hyper child. Okay. And this is how I remember being described as a child literally most of my life. I was described as a 
naughty child, a hyper child, a bratty child, an irritating child, an irritating teen, an annoying teen, an irritating young adult, an annoying young adult. You see the trend there? Right. And so I was never actually really treated uh, with care. Right. I am finally coming out um, and telling the truth. I actually have, since I was about 10 years of age, have struggled with secret anxiety, secret depression, hmm. suicidal thoughts, and uh, nightmares. Wow. And I started, uh, I got into um, pornography in one of the most protected homes in the United States at the age of 12. Hmm. Um, I would sneak out to the library. Uh, my, my first introduction to pornography was books in my mom and dad's room and uh, that they had used for being a married couple that were very explicit um, describing things. And then um, the pornography became a, an escape for a, right. a wicked life, uh, a, a, a wicked lifestyle. In other words, what I mean was the constant condemnation, the constant fear. Right. Um, I was so afraid of my dad that when I knew dad was coming home as a young boy, because I usually had a spanking coming, that I would get sick to my stomach. Mm. Uh, I remember throwing up sometimes at night because I was so afraid of my dad. And I've never told him, I'm just now coming out and telling all this. Right. It's all new for me. Um, yeah. uh, so the, what happened was, is the uh, addiction to pornography and the self-satisfaction turned into literally um, a medicine. And I talked to right. some professional therapists and things, and they said that actually created a massive amount of dopamine and serotonin. It's probably why, as a young teen, I did not commit suicide. Now, I'm not condoning it. It was wicked behavior. Sure. It was wrong choice. But I'm beginning to see a trend there and talking to other victims right. of the IFB or of the abuses is that a lot of them had battled with severe sexual sins mm. and that is be or eating disorders. It's very interesting. Really? But that's a segue. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's an interesting segue, though. And that's one reason I like to get so many different perspectives is, you know, it makes sense when you're in a hyper controlling environment and you're under enormous amounts of pressure to do something that, you know, essentially lights up that it gives you that dopamine rush and gives yes. you it's basically Absolutely. As, as high as you can get within an IFB culture. And it's absolutely, a, you know, I, I mean, I've. I've shared a little bit and this will probably end up becoming another Q and A episode after I say this, but I had a lot of the similar things, similar timelines, similar issue. And, um, I'm finding that to be a trend just so you know. Yeah, no. And I, I, I totally see that. And I know it was a, it was something that among friends who grew up in, and they're probably listening saying, don't say this, but, but growing up with friends in a Christian school where, you know, it was nowhere near as extreme as, what you saw in Hepzibah, but the amount of pressure under youth pastors to do certain things, to go, to, to be hyperactively involved in things that you weren't even passionate about doing. It was like, there was no escape from that kind of immense pressure. And if I screw up, I'm going to become the next sermon illustration or the next story. Oh, that absolutely. They tell. So I think that's an interesting, interesting segue. Um, I haven't heard about eating disorders, but I think that's just because that's not, I haven't been around people who that would have been the, the uh, reaction. Well, the other, the other is op absolutely is uh, addiction to alcohol or, or, or mm. drugs. Um, let me 
explain, you got to take what you were just describing in time to times a thousand to understand my environment. We grew up, we grew up in this environment that was um, pretty much 24 seven adrenaline. Okay. I became an adrenaline junkie. I did not know that until frankly the last year as I've been getting help. Okay. Um, Finally able to understand everything for the first time in my life. So as we grew up in a home where we were, as we, we were a part of being the bodyguards. So, uh, excuse me, not bodyguards, the guards. Um, I should what I said. We watched the doors. Okay. We stood and watched when the girls had to go out to the vehicle or, or they went to church. And we would chase the girls if they ran. I've ta- I tackled more than one girl as a teen boy. Um, we, when girls got brought in and checked in, um, we were a part of, all, oftentimes, I would get called out of school as a teenage boy. And it was my job to be the muscle if the girl got violent. Right. And obviously, as a young boy, I literally looked forward to a violent girl. Uh, I looked forward to it. It was, it was a, an anticipation. Oh, I hope this one's violent. Uh, because then we would have a, a, that thrill, that adrenaline rush. Um, all my brothers experienced that. Uh, they'll deny it. I don't know. But I know that's what happened. So yeah, you got to realize that, it's that power that it's feels that power. good as a teenage boy. You got uh, in, in our living room, what we grew up in, um, there was a display of monitors and audio equipment Mm -hmm. and so you could see all the dining room all the play area the hallways you know those there's cameras zoomed into the top of the driveway so when people drive in you you can identify the vehicle you can see there and uh there's there's microphones everywhere so you can hear a whisper and uh so we would sit there and listen and monitor the girls and listen to all their conversations and and that was living room life we'd be sitting there doing something also don't be quiet we'd turn it up um you also want healthy that was that yeah. altered our lifestyles. It really, really did. Um, well, let's let's pull back just a little bit in case someone doesn't know what we're talking about right now, and they don't know when I say Hebsa House or when you say the girls. Can you can you just explain for those who maybe this is the first time they're hearing it what the ministry your family was running was and what what the what the girls were and what what the what that situation was. Absolutely, sir. Dad got saved uh, when he was saved. He was working for the CDC for the venereal disease program. Okay. And his job was to basically track down the hookers and whores and things like that. The, the, right. And I believe it was Chicago area okay. and was tracking venereal diseases for the government. And uh, that's what he did. And he got saved. And so he had a burden to help street girls. He quickly found that that was not really a viable situation. So he was heavily, heavily, heavily influenced, remember, by Bill Gothard and Lester Roloff. you right. got to remember the history of who he was influenced by. Okay. So he started a girl's home. Dad started this home shortly after he got saved. And he started this home with good intentions right. and good desires. But he had no training. None. Right. And uh, that's then they moved to Winona Lake and uh, at the uh, the red brick home, and they had all those girls packed up in there. And the abuses were very early. I mean, the abuses were right were were, were very soon when they when they started there. No one knew about it. Right. Uh, so dad's uh, it, it morphed into the the girls' home is for girls between thirteen to seventeen from quote unquote. Uh, like-minded churches so they have to be from a uh, a fundamental church and they right. have to have a, a pastoral endorsement or they will not take the student 
and it's only for quote troubled teenage girls. Right. Some of these girls, their version of rebellion was that girl was struggling with the world. Uh, their definition of the world is listening to uh, some rock music or, right. or uh, uh, maybe having a boyfriend they probably shouldn't have had, but they weren't necessarily really, really bad yet, but that was their version. Some of these girls were in pretty bad shape. And right. uh, looking back, talking to these girls, remembering the autobiographies, a lot of these girls had been molested, had been sexually abused. And a lot of these girls, there was a lot of other reasons why they were acting out and they were still looked at as these horrible rebellious young ladies. Right. Well, that was my, that was my next question was, you know, obviously the pool of people that was there was very diverse, but very I can only imagine that with the strictness of a lot of fundamentalist churches, I'm assuming there's a lot of girls there who probably shouldn't have been there. And then I'm assuming also that, you know, and you just said something along these lines is that there were many who probably were acting out, but were under some sort of former abuse that was leading to that. So, Absolutely, sir. That's exactly what occurred. And, and so as far as staff at the facility, it was all family or was there anybody else there that was at all qualified to, to be assisting? None of them are qualified. Okay. None. However, <laughs> um, some of these, um, uh, some of these uh, staff ladies, uh, uh, the one that a lot of the girls talk about, and they publicly mention her name, is Diana. Um, she actually, uh, come to find out later, had severe mental issues, uh, institutionalized mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, a lot of these, my late, my, I remember my mother, I gotta, I gotta bring this into here as I tell sure. this part. I remember my mother describing the ladies, and she called them uh, single women. And she said, I have to deal with single women syndrome with all these, these rebellious single women. So mom looked at the single women in a degrading, um, manipulative way. She yelled at them. She screamed at them. She controlled them. And a lot of these ladies left in disgust, broken, hurt, and destroyed. Hmm. Some of these ladies have not come out because they're still, they're still healing. And they just yeah. refuse to talk about it. But they've been able to recover. Some of these ladies were vicious. I mean, they were literally, I don't have a lot of good memories of most of those ladies. They were mean, they were nasty, they were vicious. Right. Uh, there's only one I have a, a, a pretty good memory of. The rest I do not as a young boy. But even then, we Williams boys, we looked at those ladies with disdain because that's how my mom looked at them. And where were, were these women just from the church that were volunteers? No. or Dad has constantly advertised and requested for staff ladies you know I, I i got my fingers in quotation marks um and he also constantly asked for quote summer staff and he would go and recruit bible colleges i remember him going and recruiting the hiles at one time uh right. and then but he would recruit in these bible colleges looking for single ladies to come and work um he constantly needed staff he constantly put out a plea for staff ladies and um, assuming with colleges he was going for low-cost staff oh they don't support uh, the, the staff ladies don't get paid. So they, they get room and board. They have to sign up with a two-year agreement. They live and eat and breathe and sleep with the girls. They get one day off a week to go up into um, a room, uh, up what they call the staff house, uh, where my brother and his family live. And there's some rooms up there. But they weren't, they weren't allowed to drive around town or they, they, they were still very controlled. So the staff so, were essentially just as much prisoners as the girls were. Uh Yes, and they didn't know it because they were obeying their preacher. Because you've got to understand the teachings 
to understand the behaviors. Right. And extremist fundamentalists believe and teach that women have no rights on their own. Right. So they teach that if you are a single woman, you are under your father. If your father is unsaved, you're under your pastor's authority. So, wow. and then, and then if, if you don't have a pastor, then, so they, they had to place themselves under the authority of Ron Williams. Which was a power trip for him. Oh, shucks. Yeah. So that's the teachings of the extreme IFB movement. Right. It's, it is, my dad still teaches that to this day. Right. And, and so he's, I was looking into it a little bit. So your dad's still preaching, but it's the school is ran by a sibling now, correct? Dad is still the boss. Okay. Okay. He's still the boss. The girls' home is now run, um, you know, when, when mom died, uh, dad moved out, and Naomi and her husband, Chafin, Chafin is a staff kid. I was at a Reigns marriage. He ended up marrying a uh, uh, staff child there, okay. Naomi, and then they, and she moved in with their family, and they run the home. So Naomi it's a brother-in-law then? Yes. Okay. And Naomi is pretty much the one in charge. Uh, right. They all deny that, but she is the one that runs the place uh, right. under dad. And then the other one would be Dave Holloman and Sandy Holloman. Okay. And they just do whatever dad tells them to do. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I know the answer to this somewhat, but um, you know, I know there's a lot of people who um, I, I was sharing some content from the episode you were just on some of the stuff from your page. And I know that there were a few people that were like, you know, well, of course it was, it was the eighties. It was times were different. Um, you know, yes, this I is had a trouble someone home. Me today. Yeah. It was that. a, it was a troubled, a uh, troubled girl's home. These are girls who were troublemakers and sometimes, you know, that requires a, a little bit of different handling. So I, I want to kind of hear from you. How do you draw this distinction between, you know, quote unquote, tough love or being harsh on a troublemaker or, any of those phrases and abuse because there's a lot of people who would look at it and say, okay, they, they had to sleep in bunk beds or they had to eat, you know, not the best food, but maybe that's what they deserved. What, what would be your response to someone where you say, no, this was clearly abuse. I would, pr there, there's a lot to answer with that. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. For, for instance, the physical manhandling and the spankings that occurred were definitely abuse. There's no way okay. around it. Now, they'll say, well, we stopped doing that. Well, the only reason they stopped is because they're scared spitless of CPS. Right. Okay, you got to understand, I grew up with a go bag under my bed. I grew up being taught to not trust uh, the lo local law enforcement. I grew up in being taught uh, to not trust CPS. We actually had uh, alternate escape plans that oh, were so discussed. Oh, so you had a bag packed at the direction of your, your family. Oh, yeah. Uh, we actually had go bags, you know, escape plans and go bags for, uh, you know, for each student. Jeez, uh, they, they have a constant anxiety. Yeah, they have a constant uh, backup plan to get right. away. In fact, a couple of times they were warned ahead of time and they fled with all the girls. And uh, we really? packed and fled at 100 mile an hour. And where, where were, what was the plan? Where would you go? Uh, one time they took him to a church in Syracuse, Indiana. Uh, and then they hid him in a home for a day or two. Another time they took him, uh, that I'm remembering, to Lyme, Ohio, to a, a church that supported them. 
And what which was the, is, well, I'm sorry, I don't mean to illegal. Off, but well, what, that was yeah, illegal. This kidnapping state lines. Yeah. Right. Anyway. <laughs> so, so what was the plan past that? Was just to carry on um, like nothing happened, or after the one event that occurred, it got so bad they actually sent every girl home, and they had no girls for a while. Really? A lot of people don't know that. It was a kept. It was like a big secret. So uh, law enforcement actually did show up. And they showed up, but they didn't raid the place. Uh, but there was enough fear that they sent all the girls home. Why? I, and I don't. I don't mean to rabbit trail, but I'm. I'm interested in this aspect of it. Is, you know, obviously I don't know if you saw it today, but as of the day of recording, there was a, um, there was a, a couple of people I'm connected to were testifying to. Um, short or uh, lengthen the uh, statute of limitations in Indiana. Um, why do you feel law enforcement, were they hesitant to, to raid a place like this? Were they hearing stories? Were they, did they feel like, was, was it something of, because it's a church related thing, they felt like they shouldn't? Why do you feel there was, how does a place like this survive for so long? You know, I, I've been asking that myself and trying to figure it all out you got to understand, and, and I, I just said this in my TV interview today, I'm a staunch constitutional conservative. I am a okay. staunch fighter for religious freedoms. Right. I believe limited government. However, comma, exclamation point, <laughs> hit the brakes. We've got a problem here. So what happened in Indiana, and, Indi and, and, and my dad has bragged about this in churches for, for decades, is Indiana is a freer state, and they get by with a lot more. Okay. Um, if he was in other states, he would probably be shut down by now. Well, it's similar um, to Hiles. You, you, uh, yes. Hiles ministry would not have lasted in California for as long as it did, or oh. has, or still heck, is. <laughs> heck no, heck no. Um, it, you know, think about Fair Havens in Indiana too. You right. Know, an interesting little thought there, and so technically is Hiles. The the, the college of, is on the Indiana side. Uh, just wow. there. But uh, anyway, Indiana is. Um, it's the religious freedom clause, basically. Okay. I, don't know. Yeah, I mean, and so what's happened is, is they don't have the same rules and regulations for Christian schools and also they don't, or these uh, group homes. So it's a hotbed for crim near criminal or criminal activity for these it churches. Is, but you get, they don't call it criminal. I mean, my dad believes with everything in him. Right. Shoot this very minute that what he's doing is of God. Hmm. Somebody messaged me from my family this week and said, Ben, I have nightmares. I have anxiety. I have depression. I need help, but I'm afraid to tell anybody because I don't want to hurt grandpa. It was one of his grandkids. Hmm. And that individual told me, how can you destroy grandpa's legacy? And I said, well, how can I not tell the truth? Because right. I said, I'm at the point where I have to tell the truth. And we went back and forth and, you know, she's like, I love you. And she was telling me she loved me. And, but she just can't fathom why I would bring this out because he did help some people. Right. And I've actually had multiple people contact and tell me that. They're like, right. well, he did help some people, but yeah, it was abuse. Right. Wrap, wrap your head around that. And so this person is, is, is admitting to me they have nightmares that they were abused because of the legacy of abuse. It's such a shame because that argument, it's the throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of argument. And it's a shame because those kind of sentiments fuel more abuse. They, there, there was a guy who would come speak at, at our church and 
he would always say, I'm not saying this is okay. He would always start with that. I'm not saying this is okay, but my dad threw me through walls and my dad beat oh, yeah, they me bragged about I was it. unconscious. They and I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay, but I turned out all right. And my, my mom was actually the one who brought it up. And she said, she said, that's terrifying to me because I know that every abuser sitting in a pew is just getting revved up. And so it, it's really sad when people feel this hesitation to speak out because there is some good. And, and I think everybody who leaves has that moment where, well, was it as bad as I think? Is the good outweigh the bad? All those things rush through your head. And I think it's tragic that these ministries stay in operation so long because of that mindset. Right. Exactly. Somebody, somebody messaged me today and I, I, they, they stated that I cannot quote them and I cannot share the letter. That's okay. So I have okay. to be very careful, uh, but I can give you maybe a synopsis. And the synopsis was psycho, crazy, but how can you do this? Because you're hurting the name of Christ. And then oh. they said, then they said, how can you come up and stand alongside people that are uh, in pornography mm. that, that are, and so here's what I'm going to say to that. As since we segued into that, <laughs> um, yeah. yes, some of these abused people are atheists. Some right. of them are into witchcraft. Some of them are um, severe drug abusers. Some of them have tragic, tragic, traumatic stories of just multiple marriages or whatever. Uh, the one of the individuals that I'm supporting and helping is currently publicly into lesbian pornography and uh, is advertising it. Right. Uh, I choose not to look at the pictures. I'm avoiding them. Um, so several, I had one of them friend me this week. She said, Hey, I came from taps of a house and I, I'm a lesbian. I'm gay. Are you okay with that? And I answered your back and I said, I don't agree with that lifestyle, but I'm your friend. I love you. Right. And you have no attack from me. And I'd be honored to be your friend on Facebook. And she messaged back and she said, you're just not like them, are you? <laughs> and, I, and we got to remember that Jesus sat with the publicans and the sinners. He yep. avoided the Pharisees. And what has happened, and I said this two years ago, I said the fundamental independent, independent fundamental Baptists would be the ones that would crucify Jesus today if he was on right. earth today. I believe that with everything in me. We have forgotten, no, I don't agree with homosexuality. No, I don't agree with fornication, drug abuse, uh, uh, being a drunkard. Um, but I'm still their friend. I still love them. And I'm not, people got to remember, um, I was one of them. As the Apostle Paul said, chief among sinners. Yeah. You know, when I left home and I left home multiple times and we're just not gonna be able to cover all this in this podcast, brother. That's fine. Uh, but when I left my dad, I ended up running away, leaving, coming back, leaving, coming back multiple times. And I would go out and I would get crazy. I was addicted to sex, drugs, and alcohol. I was a wicked, vile man. All I wanted was a little bit of relief. And I found that little bit of relief in sex, drugs, and alcohol. That was my relief. And it nearly destroyed me. Right. And then I would come back and I would try to go, do, I would try to live the life again. And then I would get in fights with my mom and uh, get fights with my dad. And I couldn't meet up to the expectations and the condemnation. And I would go back into it again. 
I wanted to get married. My dad wanted to pick my wife. And I just, mm. it just, it was insane. It was an insane lifestyle. And uh, so, yeah, I have a lot of scars. So I'm not better than any one of these people. Right. Not at all. None of us are. So what, what was that breaking point of, you know, you left home several times. You, you didn't like the, you didn't like your life growing up. What was the, what was that breaking point where you said, okay, first, okay, I'm leaving for good. And, and what was the thing that made you just say, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, done. And then what was the thing that, that kind of triggered you to say, okay, I've been out. Now it's time for me to turn around and start speaking out and helping other people. What, what were those two kind of defining moments for you? Two very good questions. So like I said, I went in and out, in and out, in and out. And during that time period, I ended up uh, going to a small country church. The pastor loved on me. Uh, he was very gracious to me. I, I got through my addiction to alcohol while I was at his church. I missed many a Sunday morning because I was drunk because I heard the night before and he, he wouldn't attack me for it. Right. And during that time, I ended up uh, getting involved with a girl in the church. We got married. Uh, ended up being a big fight. My dad was very uh, angry and very vicious about it and refused to be a part of it and wouldn't even let me date her. And here I was, a 24, 25-year-old man living on my own in my own apartment, and right. my dad was trying to control the narrative. So what did we do? We had two young people. She was trying to get out of her parents' home. I was trying to get out of the crazy insanity of my father. So we got married. We went and eloped. <laughs> right. And um, – uh, shortly after that, the pastor of the church I started going to started preaching, hey, the way we've been raised is wrong. It is okay for ladies to wear pants. It is okay if you want to go watch a movie. This isn't sin. It is okay to have a TV in your home. That's not blasphemy. And he started preaching all this. Well, what happened was I started getting influenced after I got married. I did the old, would you forgive me trick? Because I knew the family would take me back because I had seen my other brother do that. So I got married right. without anybody, went back. Hey, would you forgive me? It didn't mean any of it. They took me back in. And I'm now back in the family graces. The problem is they started uh, influencing me. And next thing I know, I told my, pant, my, my, my wife, this is my ex-wife now. I said, you got to put pants, you got to get rid of your pants and you got to put dresses back on. Mm. And I started going back to the way I was raised. And it started a lot of marriage problems. And we had a very rocky marriage. Um, we ended up uh, leaving that country church. That pastor begged me not to go back. He said, you go back, it'll destroy you. Um, I went back joined and kind of became on staff and became a Sunday school teacher there. And uh, there, and I taught the girls for a year or two. Nobody knew that during that time, I was still very, very secretly addicted to pornography. I could, I just, I was so addicted. It was all, it controlled me. Um, and then during that time period, my ex-wife and I did not have a good marriage. I uh, did not treat her right. Um, I didn't know how to treat a wife. I didn't, my mom and dad's marriage was horrible. They screamed and fought at each other. Uh, right. All the time. They didn't, I didn't know what a loving marriage was. I never had an example of it. And so I treated my wife the way I saw my dad treat my mom. Right. What I did. Um, I was still wrong. I have to accept the personal responsibility for what I did. Um, during that time period, uh, there was a horrible story. The, uh, somebody in the girl's home had embezzled tens of thousands of dollars. And I was the computer guy and I found it. Reported it to my dad. Uh, they did a huge investigation. And we're talking tens of thousands. It was kept right. very quiet and hidden covered. This is not too long ago because they didn't want it to get out. They didn't want to lose support and they didn't want to get audited by the IRS. Right. So 
they kept it quiet. The lawyer said, you're allowed to do that. So that couple, I'll have you know, did the right thing. They sold their home. They paid it all back. They repented, but they were treated like dirt. And that family was destroyed by my dad and by them. Uh, and they did repent. And they're good people. And I'm still right. friends with them, by the way, just to let you know. And they're good people. Right. But during that period, this is what you need to know. I started realizing the magnitude of the finances because I was involved in figuring it all out. Oh, and I, I see. realizing the massive amount of money that was being spent on really pretty much anything but the girls. Um, and like dad, such as? Oh, well, see, dad keeps every love offering. Um, okay. So as he preaches, anything that gets given to him, he keeps for himself. All this gas, maintenance, everything, food, everything is paid for by Hepzibah House. So, so that's just free money on top of that. It's free money on top of that. Uh, dad, uh, he, IFB evangelists are brilliant businessmen. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I 100% uh, agree with that. Well, I mean, good night. Billy Sunday was a millionaire. People don't know that. Because right. at the, toward the end here, he became a very bad man, and it was all about money. Did right. God use him? Yes, but toward the end, he was horrible. Right. Um, and he's one of the poster children of the IFB, go figure. Um, but uh, so I started seeing all that, and I was just a conflicted young man. I was a zealot for my dad. My brother had become the pastor for a while. I was the song leader of the church. I had come out and admitted that I was addicted to pornography. I had gone to some strip clubs. I, I, so I was taken away from being the song leader. I was taken away from being the sound man. I was taken away from doing anything. Um, I had repented of it. I came out on my own. Nobody caught me. I came out right. looking for help. Uh, Dave Howellman was supposed to disciple and counsel me, the assistant pastor. And you know what he told me? Ben, you've been, you've got, you're so damaged and you've done so many wrong things. You're no longer usable. And he says, I don't know how to help you. I don't try to bring theology into the episodes too much, but that's an interesting view of, uh, grace. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we, we had a pretty rocky marriage after that, just to be honest. I, can, I confessed to her, my, my wife. I, I was trying to get help. But instead of getting help, they called me an Esau, and they looked down on me. During that time is also when we found all this money issues. I confronted my dad about it, and I said, Dad, we need to uh, be more accountable with the spending here. There needs to be full accountability. The books need to be opened and full revelation of every penny. And there needs to be uh, – you need to turn in a, 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 an expense form for every receipt. And dad said no, because dad wanted to be able to just go buy things whenever he wanted to. And right. they, that's what they do. They just buy whenever they want to. Um, the credit card for that year had $90,000 of credit card on it. That doesn't include anything else. It was mind boggling. And you didn't see any of that reflected. When you see footage from the Hepsom house, you wouldn't think that they're running a several hundred thousand dollar, if not more ministry, because um, it, it looks like everything is barely hanging together. You know what I mean? That's it's how they a, describe it. The, the, a rough $350,000 a year, I think, is in love offerings come in, somewhere in that range. Um, how much of that would you say goes toward actually helping the girls? Well, they're going to say all of it because of the magnitude of the, of the location. But in all reality, um, well, you've got the electric bill, which is probably a couple thousand dollars. It's a fuel bill. You know. But that's because the place has gotten so extravagant. Yeah. You know, like my brother and sister, the sister and brother-in-law, they live there. Their, their food is paid for. They live rent-free. They don't even know what it's like to live right. actual a normal life. Now, and he works a full-time job. So any money he gets, he gets to keep for himself. 
Right. Okay. And uh, so he lives rent free, basic tax free. Uh, he they got it made, and right. that describes all of the all of the families there. They're is not that, hurting. They don't know what it's like to hurt. Is that the motivation for them to keep quiet and stay? Uh, like they are compelled because they believe that they're doing the right thing too. I, that's just a side benefit. They don't even know reality. I call it the I call it the mecca bubble, the the the, the cultish bubble. They have a bubble, and they literally are so blinded and so deceived. Just like people who follow Jim Jones and drink the Kool Aid, they're right. so blinded, so deceived. They drink the Kool Aid. They literally do not understand. You got to understand. I supported my dad until uh, I I left, and that's what we got to get back. I just realized we just really drifted. <laughs> it's, so I'll I'll, it's okay. I'll I'll suck it in for you. So I shortly after that, um, I became a zealot for my dad, and my brother was starting to light lighten up on some of the quote-unquote standards in the church I was a crazy zealot for my dad I was getting fights with my brother all the time and uh my dad said well Ben you gotta stay here because there's no other church good enough to go to we're the we're the only church in the United States that's that's godly I remember right. my dad telling me that so we fought we fought and finally I um we, my wife and I just let you know we were doing the uh audio ministry we were involved in a ton um right. and while on a Wednesday night service we skipped church and we took everything to the church office that the, the the school street address and we it was a lot of stuff we dropped it all off and then we wrote a letter and said we're resigning well when they did that they promptly the next day and the days to come they sent out a letter to every ifb church within a hundred mile radius and said that i was a rebel and that i was i was causing problems and they tried to destroy me yeah. they literally tried to destroy me and a man took me in by the name of Mike Howard, who is another extremist nut job. And I don't know how else to say it. The guy is an extremist nut job. And he's just another version of my dad. Right. And um, we started going there. We were driving an hour to church. Uh, we left. And uh, during that process, the preacher's son, who was the song leader, got into a, an affair with my wife. And she took off with him. Wow. And when she left me, my world stopped. And for the first time in my life, I had to start thinking. I had to learn how to be a dad. I had to learn how to run my own finances. I had to start, and I started, I realized I didn't know what I believed. I went to a couple different churches. They were all IFB's churches. And then I finally went to a loose IFB church. I won't say the name, they're here in Fort Wayne. And I learned a lot, but they still have a lot of IFB tendencies. Uh, you right. know, the focus on dress, as the you know, focus on standards. In the middle of all that, we um, left there because they found out my wife was wearing pants. And they wouldn't let her play the piano anymore. And um, we left there, and that was the best move that ever happened. God brought us to a balanced, wonderful Southern Baptist church. And right. the pastor began to reach out and talk to me, and I started pouring my heart out to him. And he, and as I begin to tell him things, he says, Ben, do you realize how bad this is? And I'm like, mm. I honestly don't know. I said, I just don't know anymore. Um, I said, it's just so bad. I said, my mind is so confused. And this a couple of years ago. And I began to, my wife and I began to study and we realized everything we've been taught about discipline was wrong. All we right. had not been taught true love. We realized that the entire focus of the IFB movement is externals is condemnation is harsh 
is condemning and it is not of God. And then last year, I watched the A&E special. I think it was in August, now that I think back. And I watched the A&E special that was out. And right then, uh, about Hepzibah House, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And what happened was, and this is a very deep thing that happened to me, I literally broke down and couldn't do anything for days. And I started having memories that I had blocked out for 20 plus years. I started having horrible nightmares. I would wake up in shakes and sweats. And then I started having severe, heavy suicidal thoughts. And I'll clarify that because someone's trying to use that against me. When I say suicidal thoughts, I just started begging God to take me out and kill me. I didn't make a plan or anything like that. I begged God to kill me. And that was when my preacher came and met with me and said, Ben, I got to intervene here. And he sat me down and he began to talk to me and he talked to me and he talked to me, him and his wife, they sat in my living room and then they looked. And then for the first time in my life, I opened up and I started telling everything. And I told him about the nightmares, about the anxiety, the depression, uh, the suicidal thoughts. So they recommended I get tested. I found out uh, with extensive testing that I have severe complex PTSD um, that is literally damaged, but it's repairable, my brain. And I'm getting help for that. I'm getting good help, good therapy. And um, it's been wonderful. That's all I can say. And, and then, so last fall, I made the decision. Susan Grotty reached out to me. I said, yes, I'm going to tell the truth. I am no longer going to hide this. I had been saying for six years that it was abuse, but I didn't say it publicly. Right. I've been saying for six years that Hepsom House should close down, but everyone, preachers kept, you can't tell the truth, Ben, is it'll hurt the name of Jesus. You can't right. tell the truth, Ben, because you're going to hurt churches. Now I'm realizing by not telling the truth, I hurt the name of Jesus. Right. Right. And was, would you say that the, the depression you were experiencing, was it primarily fueled by guilt for being involved with it? Or was it more just a recognition of how screwed up things were? Or was it a mixture of both? Because I have to assume that there was some level of feeling, because obviously helping, did you feel guilt for being complicit with it? Or was it more just recognizing like, why was my life like this? All of it. And then I'll add to that. Okay. Um, see, I was taught, and, and, and I'll tell you right now, I'll guarantee you, my father has written out letters. I'll right. guarantee you. And saying that the wicked, these girls are evil, they're wicked, and they're just trying to destroy us, and we're doing God's work. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna claim martyrdom syndrome. They're really good at that, okay? Right. Uh, they're going to they're gonna use, they're going to plead for money. Uh, I already know how dad works. I used to be just like my dad. I was a proselyte of my father. I was a zealot for my father. And I thought these girls were wicked and evil. I thought I was better than them. And then I began to see the love of Jesus coming out of Cindy, uh, uh, the lady on the show, one of the staff workers. I saw the love of Jesus coming out of Susan Grotty and her love and her gentleness. And her and I have had a lot of conversations. When we sat out at Hollywood, we talked for hours and hours and we poured our hearts out to each other and i realized oh my word we had such a kindred spirit yeah um and but that had started it it started literally the day my first wife left me and so it's been a six-year journey of 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 being my eyes being open to the truth 
to healing, to learn and learning how to be a, a dad, learning how to be a husband, learning how to be a man. I'm just now learning how to have friends right. because we didn't have friends because evil communications, corrupt, good manners. <laughs> you know, I heard that millions of times and I'm not exaggerating. And my dad pushed that into our brain so much that we literally don't know how to, and that's one of the things you'll find in the IP circles. True mm-hmm. IFP extremists don't have friends. They well, don't know how to. And I think that goes back to one of the core, someone asked me to define, you know, fundamentalism. And one of the key tenets is separation. It's I'm, I have to be as spiritual as possible and relationships with anybody can threaten that potential. So add that teaching, Eric, plus I grew up in a very physically abusive home. So remember right. I told you how I was hyper right. and I was a very hyper child. And I was, this is how I was taught as a child. Ben, you're hyper. Ben, you're naughty. Ben, you're annoying. Yeah. Ben, you're a rebel. Ben, you're a Peter. Ben, you're, uh, you're an Esau. You're acting like Absalom right now. Mm. And so I, dad, mom would use names the Bible to attack me. Right. And uh, I was spanked so much as a child. I had bloody sores on my bottom my whole growing up years. I have scars on my bottom to this day from that. Uh, I have ear damage from being yanked around by my ears. I have two, a torn eardrum on both sides because I was yanked around by my ears so much. My sister yanked me around. My brothers yanked me around. My mom yanked me around. And to this day, my ears rattle. My ears are rattling right now while I'm talking to you. Um, mm-hmm. I have, I have uh, issues because of that. I've had serious health issues, chronic health issues that uh, have been now attested to the, to the uh, severe way I was treated as a child. Right. Um, my brothers would take and handcuff me to a tree and leave me there for hours. I would wet myself. Uh, they would put me in the grease pit in the maintenance barn and drive a vehicle over it and they wouldn't let me out. And I would just sit down there and see them. I would say, I hate my brothers. I hate my brothers. I remember at 16 looking at my one brother and saying, I hate you. I wish you were dead. And I meant every bit of it. Yeah. That's the home I grew up in. Wow. Yeah. So there's just no, for, for years, no sense of how to build a genuine relationship. No, all. but yet my father still preaches home and family around the United States. So once we, he started having one child after another go bad, as he says, and go prodigal, as he states, here's what my dad began to do. He changed and he, he, he wrote a message called Strange Children. He took it out of the Old Testament. Mm. And it's, it is literally an abuse of scripture like you wouldn't believe, it has nothing to do with what he's talking about. And so now my dad, to explain why his children have all gone, I'm raising my fingers and going, quote, 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 have gone bad, his explanation is they're all strange children. And he said, the reason why we're losing our children in our churches is because we have strange children. They've chosen to reject the light. Dad always talked about we are children of the light, so we're more accountable. Hmm. Is there is, pressure? Is there uh, a copy pressure. of that available online somewhere? I have tried to find it. I would okay. love to get a hold of that message. Oh my goodness, I'd love to get a hold of that message. Because that message is a cop-out. It's an escape for the fact that he condoned and he promoted abuse and right. his preaching and his teaching have destroyed lives. I have a very close person that I know messaged my wife and I this week and said, I learned how to be a parent from your dad's teachings. And I realized it destroyed my home. Mm. And, you know, I can't tell you how many women have contacted me and said schizophrenic women, that insane, crazy track my mother wrote. That was the poster child track for ladies and churches for decades. Mm. That track is absolutely evil. I'll call it what it is. And it has destroyed and degraded women. Mm. And this teaching 
has destroyed lives, it's destroyed churches, it's destroyed children, it's destroyed marriages. The IFB culture has destroyed thousands and thousands of lives. And there's so much I want to ask about that, but I guess I, th- I think you've gone through so much of the the mindset behind it, and I think you've what you're doing is very healthy. You took time to kind of rebuild. I mean, I know that's going to be that's a constant it's a process. process. It's never going to go away. Um, it's going to be a continual journey. Um, and and I think it's I think it's great that you mentioned mainly because it is so stigmatized. I'm glad that you mentioned how helpful it's been doing actual therapy and because that's something at least I know. Yes. I would love for you to. This is very important. What I'm about to tell you, you've got to understand this folks that are listening. My dad and extreme IFBs do not believe in mental illness. Mm -hmm. You've got to understand this folks. So, Depression is, let me, let me pause for a moment. My dad was trained by Jay Adams with Nuthetic Counseling. Nuthetic Counseling is taught at Bob Jones University. Nuthetic Counseling is taught at a lot of Bible colleges, Northland, Fairhaven. I mean, you go on and on. Here's the problem with that counseling. That type of counseling teaches that if you have a problem, it's be, here's the gist of it. You're not spiritual enough, right? You have depression. Well, that's just because you're not trusting Jesus. You've got anxiety. Well, you must have sin in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do not believe in depression or anxiety or uh, any of these uh, issues. And because right. of that, people have gone untreated. William Carey was an IF of his day. And his wife had severe mental illness and he never got her help. Think about that. So this has gone on for a long time, that denial. So you, and so my father, these girls would share some of these things and about what happened to him. And well, you just got to forgive them. And what were you doing to cause this? You know, so because they don't believe in that, that they were uh, that teaching. So I'm sorry, I'm wandering here. I'm trying to put my brain thoughts together. Let me back up. So there's, some of these girls would come in and they would be on medicine and they would be taken off cold Turkey immediately. Mm. And they'll say, because they couldn't manage it. That's their public statement. Now let's tell you the true statement. They don't believe in it. Right. They teach in the IFB circles that it is sin to take medicine for your brain. Yeah. No, I've heard that, that teaching. Okay. Sure. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, that is not in God's word. Now, that's the same preacher that's going to be addicted to his mountain dude, would love to go to the all-you-can-eat right. buffet right. With, his, uh, with his surfeiting. And, and uh, the Bible talks very clearly about obesity. Uh, and that is, that is just as much of a sin as drunkenness. That is just as much of a sin as, as a pornography addiction. And you've got to understand that they picked and choose what they wanted to make sins. That's what they focused on. They created their own doctrines. They created their, and I'm going to call it what it is, their heresies. Their heresies, they were never found in God's word ever. Right. And, And so we have a problem with these girls. They were not helped mentally. And they were, and they were told, you just are a rebel. 
you just need to love Jesus more. You just need to read your Bible more. You just need to study more scripture. Uh, you just need to repent. And right. so some of these girls that did have issues and never got it, they were never given therapy to help them through sexual abuse. Right. They were never given therapy to help them through physical abuse. I was never given therapy because I was always taught it was wrong. Right. It's only in the last year and a half do I understand and finally believe that therapy is okay because I was always taught it was sin. Yeah. So this ties into what you were saying, but is something I try to ask everyone I talk to is if you could say, cause I know, I, I know, I know, I know because I grew up and, and I know, you know, this as well. I have so many people that I know are listening to this that will never like something, will never comment, will never tell anybody they're listening to it. They want to hear, they either want to hear a, what the crazy liberal loon me is saying about yeah, or, their church or and <laughs> yeah and hand you welcome to the club or they're listening because like me in 11th grade figuring out how interconnected and all these inner cover-ups and things they're listening to see am i the only one that notices that there's something wrong here and so for either of those people if you could say one thing to someone who's sitting in the pew of an abusive IFB ministry, so a school, church, fill in the blank, and they're scared to leave or they feel like they can't leave, what would you say to them? Don't do what I did. <laughs> Don't wait to get help. Hmm. Um, I, destroyed a, I destroyed a marriage, nearly destroyed my children, nearly destroyed my own life i hurt other people i attacked other people it has taken me a long time to and a lot of tears and a lot of sorrow um to get to where i am today i love my dad i, I love my family but i have no apologies for telling the truth Right. People do not know the living hell I had in my brain for the last 30 years. They don't know that the reason why I was digging deep into pornography was because I was just looking for one few minute session of just relief. They don't understand that I was going into uh, drugs because of just looking for relief. Right. They understand that I was, uh, you know, sleeping around because I was looking for relief. I was looking in all the wrong ways because I was, I couldn't meet up to the Christianity that was so wrong. I got into a church that started teach that teaches God's word, that teaches the love of Jesus that began to attack that legalism I was raised under. Right. Um, and I blossomed and I've grown under that teaching and I feel like a sponge right now. I don't feel worthy to be a worship leader in my church. I don't feel worthy to be involved in my church, but God, I don't feel worthy to be a voice for these precious survivors of Hepzibah house, right. but God's given me that voice and I have no apologies for it. Don't so wait, awesome. leave, get out, save your children. And you're not going to go to hell. You know, I, I you're going to know what I'm sitting ready to say, Eric, I'm sure you've heard it. I, I just recently sat under uh, evangelist booth. I forget his first name another nut job in the fundamental circles. And 
he was preaching this whole message for an hour plus about all these people that left the fundamental movement and now they're living in sin and they're addicted to drugs and they're addicted to alcohol. And if they would have just stayed there, they would have been fine. Now bless God. And I remember I got up and I walked out and I said, I'm done with this garbage. There's a load of crap. And it's, it's, um, it's narcissism. It's pride. It's heresy. It's false doctrine. It's false teaching. It's destructive. One of the men that has attacked me this week, his son committed suicide several years ago because they didn't believe in mental health. Right. Think about that. Don't stay. And I, I saw I saw one of the questions that got posted on your site this week about what do you do if you're a child that lives there? Yeah. And this is going to be my very, very bold answer. The moment you're old enough to get out, get out get but don't run don't go to a seeker friendly church don't go to a church that's a rock concert and they're not i mean believe me i love contemporary christian music by the way oh my goodness i love it i love casting crowns you know i love lauren Nagel. okay but i also believe in the church setting we need to be careful not to turn into a rock concert okay i believe the lights should be turned on not turned down so we can actually read our bibles and take our notes but anyway that's a segue so <laughs> um so i try to be balanced i really do but i have sure. I, I will not I have good friends that go to churches that are that way and well, I would you, visit them. Well, you, you know, understand, no you come to understand, you know, it's sometimes th- people are going to feel different convictions about different things. They're going to feel, and, and people are going to be, I, I, I remember very strongly and I grew up in the, it's, it's funny talking to people because I almost feel like I, I knew I was connected to churches that, were the extreme i was like one degree away and i was in a very (laughs) i was in a very light version i had all the weird eccentricities and quirks and things but it's one of those things where um you know i remember my my youth pastor getting up and saying well the church across town perfectly good church and i'm really close friends with one of the people there now but he used to always say sure they're going to draw in the skater crowd and they're gonna, and it was like this weird separation of like, well, why don't why don't we draw anybody that looks different than we do? Why don't we draw oh, people absolutely who, who look different? Because I'm pretty sure that Jesus preached about being around people who were different than you, and ministered to people who were different than him, radically different than him. And so it's so, yeah, I think it's a place where you know. I can accept your convictions about where you go and what you, what you want to do. And, you know, and I think both of us realize, I I realize all the time that there's things that I feel very strongly about. And then I start looking, I'm like, why do I feel so strongly about that? And, and there's so much that goes into the mental development of a person into the preferences of a person, the things that, that a person needs. And so, and I think the, I'm sorry. I think it's important that we remind our listeners what the true fundamentals of the faith are. Mm. It's really simple. It's not King James only just to let you know. It is. It's, it's just not. Okay. The King James Bible was written for the English speaking people. And in its day, God used it mightily, but let's just stop the garbage about that for crying out loud. Oh my word. Um, and, And God uses cultural 
changes mm-hmm. for his glory. And uh, so fundamentalism is not uh, anti-cultural. Uh, fundamentalism, the way it should be, is this. Ready? It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the virgin birth. It's um, the doctrine of salvation. It's we believe that there's a heaven and a hell. We believe that God ordained and uses the local church for his glory. Notice I didn't say the independent fundamental Baptist church. I said the local church. Yeah. And we need uh, uh, the fundamental, basic fundamentals of faith, believe in eternal security. Uh, You get down to it. It's a small list. We just believe the Bible. But fundamentalism of current day has made books and books and books about what it is. It's just simply, it's the gospel. It really, it, let's just narrow down, narrows down to the dop, the gospel, the blood of Christ, the deity of Christ. It all focuses around Christ, not standards, yeah, not no, externals. And no denomination has the monopoly on that. No. Now, I'm a Baptist through and through. I, I am a Baptist because I believe the Baptist doctrines are the closest to our understanding of biblical understanding. Yeah. But I've got, I've got a good friend of mine right now, and he's a good friend. We love each other. We talk all the time. And he believes you can lose your salvation. Hmm. And that man loves Jesus probably more. I, I, I have a Calvinist friend who's a devout, devout Calvinist. That man loves the Lord more and more than I do. And he radiates Jesus and he's a friend. We got to start getting along, people. Yeah. <laughs> well, depending how you feel this interview went, you have two Calvinist friends now. So, <laughs> so there you go. Well, there you go. But, and, uh, and I'm not a Calvinist. And, and right. I will very very uh safely say i'm not a calvinist sure but i my preacher and i were just talking about that it, it, a little funny thing there i'm chuckling <laughs> my, my he's like ben i'm seeing more godliness out of the calvin folk than i am anywhere right. he says i'm not a calvinist i don't agree in calvinism but he said they are the people that have studied god's word and they love the lord he said i'm seeing more godliness he's, like, he's I'm so sick of the you know, bragging about I'm this and I'm that from the pulpit and just right. instead of just teaching the word of God. And Get back to the word, man. Well, it's just so important to recognize the strengths of all these different people. Like I, I, I sat down one time and this is a total rabbit trail, but I, um, I sat down with a friend of mine probably two years ago now. And, you know, I'm, I, this sounds like a brag, but I swear it's not is I enjoy, I enjoy reading very very theological books i I really do enjoy like reading like systematic theologies and things like that and commentaries and i don't i i just don't jive with like very fluffy devotionals or like emotional it just doesn't for whatever reason that's just not what brings me awe and you're, you're, wonder. you're not you're not a joel olstein kind of guy i'm not uh, <laughs> which by the way i'm not either <laughs> <laughs> but uh but i had a friend sitting down and we were we we're sitting in his truck and he was like he was like he's like man i just when i think about god i just feel so good and when i'm worshiping and singing and thinking about god like he's like i don't he was saying he's like i don't read the same books i don't do that he's like i just i I know who God is and love God like so much. Like it just, when I'm singing, I just feel incredible. And, and he's like, and I was telling him, I said, yeah, for me, I said, when I'm reading about the attributes of God, I feel this incredible, like, oh, the same thing you're feeling. And I just kind of told him, I said, it's the same thing as I think like, like if you're looking at 
a beautiful landscape or a tree. I said, there, a scientist could come along and tell you all the little pieces and feel awe and wonder over why that tree exists and all these things. But I said, there's also people who are going to go to that park and sit by that tree and be in awe of how pretty it is. And I said, I think the two of those people can learn from each other quite a bit. And so I think, Absolutely. That, I, I think that what you're discussing is so important. And I think that's, that's so counter what IFB teaches is that there is value in other perspectives. There's value in friendships because we can all help each other get closer to what the truth is and what, what beauty really is. I'll give um, an example. Um, right down the street from my church, we're, we're Southern Baptist. Um, and right down the street from our church is a missionary church, which is uh, very um, uh, ultra Calvinistic. Right. And uh, my pastor and that pastor have had dinner together recently several times and they pray, to, they have a prayer meeting. Hmm. And that church said, we want to let you know that we have just are so excited about how you're growing. My church is currently going through a revival and people are getting saved, getting baptized. People are joining the church. Uh, it's, it's really exciting to be a part of it. God's on the move. And, uh, but Avalon is a great church. Sweetest. I, I love meeting the people from there. They just radiate Jesus and yeah. they are praying for our church and we are less than a quarter mile away from each other. That's so That's good. That God will bless, continue to bless our church. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's how it should it's, be. That's how it should it, be. It's none of that competitive. We have to grow faster. We have to be the one, you know, that soul church. Absolutely. So all this conversation kind of leads me to the, the one question I, I ask everybody is, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the negative ideas that the, the abuse that permeates IFB culture. Is there hope for reforming the IFB movement or was the foundation broken? Is it need to be put to rest? What do you feel like there's any hope for reform? You know, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. Uh, I'm not a theologian. Um, I'm, I'm just a nobody, but I grew up in it. I'm 42 years old and majority of my life, all I've known is the IFB and the extremes of the IFB. I've only been out a short time. Okay. I've only officially 100% been out for almost two years. Okay. So I'm new to being out. Here's my answer to that. I believe that until good men that have not been a part of the abuses, Stand up and say enough and publicly attack and say enough. We're done with this. They need to take a stand against Hiles Anderson College. They need to take a stand against Fairhaven. They need to take a stand against uh, uh, Menominee Falls and Baptist College of Ministry and the teachings that they're, uh, they, they endorse that a breaking of the will and the abusive spankings. Right. We, uh, that it, and they need, they need to say enough is enough. And if they don't, no. It's, a, it's, it's so cultic right now. I honestly do not believe at this point, outside of a direct miracle and intervention from God, that it's going to be fixed. Hmm. I believe that the IFB movement has been used by the devil to hurt and destroy more lives than we'll ever know. Hmm. It's, it's, it, it, it has turned into a denomination of destruction. There's no other way to put it. Yeah. The double D, denomination of destruction. <laughs> and I'm telling you, brother, 
uh, you know, uh, Heritage Baptist out of, out, of, out of Pennsylvania, they, they endorsed my, my, my page. They have become independent Baptists, and they've taken the name fundamental out of their churches. Hmm. And I believe that more and more churches need to say, we are not a fundamentalist. We believe in the fundamentals, but we are not a fundamentalist, and we disown all of this, and we're done with it. Right. And until they do, it'll never get fixed. Hmm. We gotta, men have to stand up and be a man. Yeah. Pure and simple. Right. I mean, we didn't even discuss the uh, how horribly women are treated. We yeah. didn't discuss how how wives are nothing but uh, basically uh, baby popping sex machines for their husbands that do all the work while men do whatever they want. We haven't even we didn't even discuss that whole avenue. We didn't even discuss the uh, the uh, endless uh, one, two, three, pray with me. And, you know, I'm the church with the most baptisms. I'm the church that led more people to the Lord. Oh, let's cut it out. Just yeah. stop. Well, and it's, it's so telling that, you know, I'm, this is the fifth episode here. And it's so telling that I that's almost five and a half, six hours of content. And I'm nowhere near scratching the surface of no. problems. It, it's so deep. It's so deep, brother. Um, you know, I, I, I know stories of, um, I had people tell me that I could never be in the ministry because I lost my virginity. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah. I've had people tell me that I couldn't be in the ministry. I couldn't even serve as a Sunday school teacher in the IP movement because I'm divorced. Yeah. Show me that in God's word. Yeah. There's so much shame. So much it's unnecessary cool. shame. Yeah. yeah well, you, you have just begun to scratch the surface, brother, of why the sexual, physical, mental, verbal, spiritual abuse is rampant yeah. in these churches. And there's a reason why narcissists love the IFB movement. Right. There's a reason why, because they're getting by with murder yeah. in these churches because there's no accountability and they, they hide in each other's circles and they're just not telling the truth about each other. Right. They cover for each other. Yeah. Man, there's so, I could, I could do three or four of these. Um, no, I, I so appreciate the answers and the perspectives and, um, I'll squeeze one more question in and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. So that way. Uh, Absolutely. I've really but, enjoyed uh, this. This has been yeah. a blessing. It really has brother. No, it's been, it's been awesome. Um, uh, I guess the last question I'll ask, and this could lead us into a whole conversation, but um, <laughs> uh, do you, so do you believe you, you kind of mentioned just the, the cycles of abuse and them hiding in each other's circles. Do you feel like, I think this is what we've talked about the whole time, but, do you feel that the behavior you see in the in the IFB movement is caused by the mindset that's taught, or do you think it's something that, you know, like you said, it's it's kind of built into the structure of the movement? I don't know if that makes I, sense, but it's both. Okay, and yeah, you know, it's both. Um, you've got second generation sex abusers now. Yeah third generation sex abusers because it's been covered for, 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 for decades. Yeah. Uh, the physical abuse 
has been not only covered, it's encouraged. Yeah. Because if you're not getting bruising, you're not doing your job. No. You know, so you got to understand the mind process of the, 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 the pearls, Michael Pearl and his insanity. Yeah. Uh, crap oh, yeah. ron williams lester roloff they even you know all those you got you, you realize that these guys have been endorsing physical abuse publicly from the pulpits as god's punishment for sin right for since the 60s you know and look at the results right oh, yeah, dec- decades of cyclical things just happening over and over and over again decades yeah decades and decades that's why i just it's so hard watched, to explain to someone who's not in it is that it's i watched not, the cameron i watched the cameron G- giovanelli disaster yeah. he uh i sat under his preaching the, the 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 church here that i used to attend here in fort wayne they're close personal friends with him they got very angry when when i took a stand against him they were doing fun, these all these guys were doing fundraisers for him and fully backing him. I mean, that loser maggot of a man posted, you know, songs. Yeah. While he's in trial. Yeah. I mean, and you gotta understand it's a God complex. Yeah. Now, I know my dad would take a strong stand against Cameron Juvenile. Right. If you asked him in personally, he'll never do it from the pulpit. But if you asked him in person in a private conversation, Ron Williams would say, yeah, that stuff's a joke. Dad thought that those colleges were a joke a long time ago. Right. But he'll also say it's okay to spank a child 300 times over an hour because they, you haven't broke their will yet. Yeah. It's just a weird subjective morality that comes yes. with the independent label. It's, it, it is a, it, it, well, I trade the fundamentalist label because no. I've met some really good independents oh, cer- that are not certainly. fundamentalist. I, I think it's kind of a, I, I certainly think you can be independent and fine, but I think, I think it depends on if you're independent from accountability. I think there's yes. a, there's a fine line between independence and removing yourself from accountability. And I think that's yes. one thing that. I really appreciated in the church that we started attending at Southern Baptist as well is the plurality of leadership where oh there's not word, one I man it. elevated to the point of sainthood and then to question him is to question God. And so I think when you have a fundamentalist utilizing independence, you have a problem. Um, but I think when you have, you know, I, I think when you allow yourself to be under other people or at least equal with other people. I think that's a good, healthy place to be. One of the things in the independent fundamentalist movement that they deny, they deny they're a movement. Right. Yeah. Oh, they deny. Okay. We're not a movement. Okay. I'm going to cry bull and I'm going to say, look, you guys will literally give in to the peer pressure of your friends because you're scared to death yep. to lose friendships. You're scared to death to be talked about in their pulpit. So they constantly give in to each other. I saw that, and the dear pastor that I love dearly, the church I left, he would get really soft on his preaching and start getting pretty nice. And then one of these crazy nut jobs, it was his buddies from the Hiles days, uh, would come visit. And then for the next three months, I had to listen to all that crap again. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I'm done with this. You know, I really don't want to listen to Jack Kyle's being quoted in a message. Jack right. Kyle's was a sex per. I do not believe Jack Kyle's was even saved. Yeah. And I will say that publicly. I believe Jack Kyle's is burning in hell right now. I believe he was a wicked, wicked man. Well, I believe he 
<laughs> See, we're going to start round two. No, but I, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I, I see that's, that's the, um, that's the conversation I have with people is I feel like there are the third generation who just absorb bad theology, bad practice. And then I, and don't know why they do it. But then when I look at guys like Jack Coslin, like he knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, he and, was, he was a very, um, Jack Hiles, and including my dad, they know exactly what they're doing. Right. Jack Hiles was a brilliant, brilliant man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's basically a con artist. Right. And he was a shyster. Uh, a legitimate know, and, cult leader in every sense of the really, word. Really, every single sense of the word. You want to study how to rapidly grow a church? Study right. Jack Hiles. The guy's a genius. Now, yeah. it's not of God, but the no, guy's he, a genius. He would have succeeded if he'd started a business, he w- which is basically what he did. He would have succeeded in anything he would have pursued. Absolutely. Which is scary when someone's evil and pursues things with that kind of... Yeah, he, he, was a, he was an evil man. And he had an evil heart. His heart was for glory and power and control and look at the results. Yeah. Well, I don't know where to wrap this up, but, uh, but I, brother, I, I hope I was a blessing. I appreciate, I'm honored you had me on. Like I said, I'm just a nobody. I am still in the beginning stages of healing. I'm having to learn to remove the condemnation from my heart and mind i'm having to learn how to be graceful i grew up in a harsh environment where everybody was the enemy i'm having to learn that everyone's not my enemy i'm having to learn to show the true love of jesus without the condemnation um and that is a process and i'm telling you for those of you listening you're coming out of the 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 cults of the ifb movement I'm going to tell you, you've got to read your Bible. I, I encourage you to study the love of Jesus in the New Testament. I encourage you to study the grace of Jesus in the New Testament. I encourage you to study forgiveness. And last, I'll end with this. We must study the fruit of the Spirit. That is one of the greatest things lacking in our walk of, with Christ. It's one of the greatest things lacking in our churches is love joy peace gentleness you know long suffering you know for it, all of those are missing because we were so busy putting on our armor we love to talk about the armor we love to focus on the armor but we forgot what's behind the armor and behind the armor is us and the fruit of the spirit has to be there before we could put our armor on the fruit of the spirit we've got to get back to showing and radiating Jesus, sit down with a drunk on the street and tell him you love him. Go sit down with the homeless man under the bridge and say, hey, buddy, I just want to let you know I love you. I don't, I think you're making wrong choices, but I'd like to get you a meal. Don't give him money, but show him love. Right. I mean, come on, people. Your neighbors are not your enemy. Jeez, oh, Pete. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, that That's how I would wrap it up. That's good. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's good. I think I'll close it right there. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.